Morning, Harvest. My name is uh, Pastor Chris Persons. I'm the pastor of discipleship here at Harvest, and I have the privilege of bringing the word this morning. So if you could open up your Bibles to Ephesians chapter 5, that's what it will be, give you a head start to find your spot. Last week, uh, like Brent mentioned, was Easter, and uh, we started a new series on Easter called Relationship Restart. And the purpose is to be redefining my relationship with God and others. And it was an impactful time last uh, Friday and last Sunday as we celebrate the risen Savior. And uh, Steve spoke on the start of Ephesians 5 and how we need to have a relationship with God. Starts all with it right there, right? And uh, many, like Brent mentioned earlier too, um, gave their life to Jesus Christ for the first time and started a relationship with Jesus Christ. Praise the Lord, right? And the others were like, hey, I need to restart, hit the restart button, which you each of us have to do at times, right? Get back in tune to the word of God, get back in tune to my relationship with Jesus Christ and, and get more abiding in the word again. And many made that decision to restart their relationship with Jesus Christ because of the message, because of going forth of the word last week and it was a powerful time to see. And praying that many of those people are here this morning as they're pursuing Christ and the rest of us continue on our pursuit of being steadfast followers of Jesus Christ relationship restart. You know, uh, as God, or Steve talked about starting a relationship with God, the God, the, that is the God who created all things into existence through just speaking. Um, he also did many miracles such as, but of course not limited to, casting out demons, healing the sick, giving sight to the blind, parting the Red Sea, leading his people by a pillar of fire by night and a cloud by day, calmed the storm, walked on water, spoke through a donkey, one of my favorites, fed the masses numerous times, uh, brought Lazarus back to dead and rose from the dead himself. But this is the same God that is in the business of restoration as well. Us as individuals, but also uh, with one another. He's into restoring our relationships with one another. Now, some of you might be thinking like, yeah, that God did a lot of great things and did a lot of great miracles and stuff, but man, you haven't met my mother-in-law yet, right? She's, she's a force to be reckoned with. Can, you, can he repair even that relationship? And of course, I'm not talking to my, about my mother-in-law. I have a great mother-in-law, just for clarity, since we're videotaping this. Um, <laughs> relationships, in reality, are not always easy. Wouldn't it be nice, though, if, it, you know, if uh, at a relationship that went south, that went not well, and let's pretend like, Dave, can I use you? friend, brother in Christ, right? You can just stay there. But if, if we got off track in our relationship, wouldn't it be just nice uh, just to throw a button on him, right? And just like, hey, if I threw this button on him, now we're all good, right? Uh-oh, it doesn't work. There it goes. And then we could reset it. I wish we could just reset it. Now we're good, Dave, right? Everything's back and we're restored. But relationships don't really work that way. Um, Often, they're very difficult, but thankfully, God's Word has a lot to say about relationships, and we're starting in Ephesians chapter 5 this morning, verse 15. It says, look carefully, then, how you should walk, not as unwise, but as wise, making the best of the time, because the days are evil. Therefore, do not be foolish, but understand what the will of the Lord is. And do not get drunk with wine, for that is debauchery, but be filled with the Spirit, addressing one another in psalms and hymns and spiritual songs, singing and making melody to the Lord with your heart, giving thanks always and for everything to God the Father in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ, submitting to one another out of reference for Christ. Relationships don't always go as we planned. 
right? You enter into a marriage, and uh, sometimes it gets hard. It gets rocky. You enter into a small group, and you have the one and others, and things may be going for good for a while, and then there's a rub at work with your boss, with other employees, with a child. Man, I didn't think it was going to be this hard to parent, right? Sometimes you have those thoughts, and things go rough, and they just get messy at times. And we look in this passage in particular, verse 15, it says, Look carefully how you should walk. Not as unwise, so the word there it actually means fool. Don't walk as a wise person, not as a fool. And we're able to do that instead. And that's in regards to relationship with other people. And that's what we're focusing on this morning is my relationship with others. Now, this is going to be a kind of an overarching message to the messages to come in the future weeks here, all right? So we're talking about principles that we can apply to our walk to mean walk wisely amongst others, and then the future weeks are going to be all over a specific relationship, such as, how can I be a godly wife? Not me, but for those of you who are. Or how can I be a godly husband? Or how can I be a godly parent or a godly child? Or how can I be a godly employee or employer? All right, so we're going to get, but all the stuff that we talk about this morning, about walking wise, applies to all of those relationships. And then we'll directly apply them in the weeks to come to specific relationships. So let's pray. We need God's help. Lord, uh, we just roll under uh, you uh, this morning, Lord. Um, your word is powerful. Your spirit's powerful. Lord, I want this message to be um, about you, not about me. I'm just a messenger. I'm a flawed messenger at best. And uh, will your spirit just show up in my heart as I communicate? Give me the words to say. Will this uh, fall not on deaf ears, but on ears that are ripe and ready to receive it, to apply it? Lord, you started a good work in each of us, and you promised that you will bring it to completion. Will this be a day that a step forward towards that completion? Lord, I just pray for your spirit to do a great and mighty work in Jesus' name. Amen. So if we're called to walk wise, does Paul give us some insight on how we can walk wise? Of course he does, right? Look at verse 16. Making the best use of the time because the days are evil. So walking wisely means, according to Paul, I am intentional with my time. Verse 16, I am intentional with my time. A wise person takes into consideration the society and the culture around them so that they can discern how to best use their time. Let me start with the end of this uh, verse, though, because it says, because the days are evil. How does the fool view these evil days? All right, so let's start off with that. So unwise person, unwise people are oblivious to the dangers these uh, evil days have. Paul, in Paul's day, um, these evil days being uh, around a time that was very rough for Christians, right? If you, what was going on at, when he was writing this to the church in Ephesus, all right? We also know that 1 Peter was being written at the same time. And in 1 Peter 4, it talks about, don't be surprised, brothers, when you experience these fiery trials that are among you, all right? So what are these fiery trials? Well, there's persecution of the Christians. A lot of scholars believe, like, the fiery trials were in, uh, believed to be the, the, the blaze that broke out in Rome, and brought a lot of destruction to Rome. And then the Christians got blamed for the lighting the city on fire, which it wasn't their fault, but then they got persecuted because of that. Many to the point of death on the, 
um, at the stake. Many of them got thrown into the Colosseum uh, with gladiators and wild beasts, and many of them had to go underground because they're the face. And, and we would say, yes, Paul, like he's saying, those are evil days. You also have to realize during this culture, like uh, there's other things that address to the evil days. There's public bathing areas where nudity wasn't a big deal. Public acts of sexuality, not a big deal. Evil days, as he's describing here. Corrupt politician, evil days. But how bad is today? Is it, is it better or worse? Does this still apply to us today? Well, Unwise people are not only oblivious to the dangers that fill the evil days, but unwise people adapt the world's system of morals and values. A fool is numb to what is right and what is wrong. They have no discernment in that. So back to my question, is these days still evil? Well, let me give you some questions to measure the severity. I'll let you come up with it instead of just tell you, right? Let me ask you some questions. Uh, does our society value human life? Paul's day, no, not so much. But does our society value human life? Does our society value God's creation of the human body? Does our society degrade or protect the marriage bed? Does our culture protect marriage, man with woman, for life? Are there still gross acts of sexuality being kept far away or are they being brought in, endorsed, and given freely? I mean, when I go over those questions, there's many other questions we could ask, but I would say the days are still evil. Maybe they've just been redefined a little bit, but the severity and the urgency behind this day is still the same. Unwise people are oblivious to the dangers that fill the day. Unwise people adapt the world's systems of morals and value, but also... Unwise, unwise people live for the temporal fulfillment of pleasure. The fool, foolish people squander the most valuable resource that everyone is giving an equal measure of, and that is time in a day. Christians have uh, more distractions and diversions than ever before. All of us do, right? More distractions, just be time eaters, be time suckers, right? And it's we live in a culture and a time of age that we have more free time than any previous culture or society before us. We have more time. We have more free time. That's convicting, right? Because how many times in a week do you say, oh, I'm really busy? <laughs> Man, if I lived 100 years ago, 200, 300 years ago, it would look totally different. But we fill our time with time eaters. Here, uh, when Paul says, uses the word time, he, he's referring to a particular time that is meant to be the opportune time. This is, because the days are evil, this is the opportune time to seize the moment, to go after it, Christian, to bring a level of, yeah, it's, the days are evil, so the severity is high, but our urgency needs to re respond quickly to the things that God has called us to do. Wisdom just does not only recognize the evil nature of these days in which to leave, but wisdom, but wisdom as well to know how to respond to these evil days. A wise person responds to the high level of severity and urgency and leads, which leads to intentionality with their use of their time. Like Paul says, make the best use of your time. So let me ask you some questions whether you're making the best use of your time in these evil days. Do I seek the kingdom of God with my time? 
That's a biblical concept, right? Seek ye first the kingdom of God. So do I seek the kingdom of God with my time? Do I use my time to make disciples on a daily basis with the roles and the responsibilities that God has given me in my home, at work, in my church? Is my time with the Lord increasing or decreasing? That could be evidence if I'm making the best use of my time. If I'm going to walk wise in this evil days, that means I'm devoted to spending time with my Heavenly Father. Now, if I can poke a little bit harder, if that's okay. Um, what about this? Am I obsessively squandering any of my time on my own pleasures? Now, I think God wants us to have fun with the innocent pleasures of life that he's created, so I'm not saying you should never have fun, all right? But am I obsessively squandering any of my time on my own pleasures? Not making the best use of that time. Husbands, are you able to put down the remote and spend time with your wife at nighttime? Or do you squander that opportunity away? Now, I'm speaking mostly to me on that, so... That's something I struggle with, to be real and to be honest. And uh, we just came off a fast, and one thing that we did as part of our fast, Crystal and I, was, hey, once the kids are in bed, no TV, because that's just a time eater for us. It's a sucker. We're not making the best use of that time. So we fasted from that and was intentional, right? The word is intentional, about pouring into each other, talking about the things of God, actually praying with each other um, every night. Wow, that was a powerful time, a better use of our time than what we had been doing. How about this? Do you really have to watch um, a whole season of your favorite sitcom on Netflix in two days? <laughs> right? Oh, man, I just got to get through season seven, right? Whew. Is that making the best use of your time? Are you conscious about how much time you commit to video games, watching games, playing sports, doing hobbies, how much time you're on social media, Facebook, Twitter? Are you... I think the word is, are you aware of how much time you spend on those? I get lost in that, time, in that time. My son just started playing video games, and he's like, oh, man, it feels like I was only on there like 20 minutes. We're like, you're on there two hours. <laughs> you just lose track of time, right? Are you aware of how much time you're squandering on some of these things to make the best use of your time? I think this is a good question. Are you accountable with your time? Are you accountable with your time? on a calendar, so others can know how you spend your time. Are you accountable to your spouse? Are you accountable to your kids, to your family? Are you accountable to your boss, your coworkers, to your small group members with how you're redeeming the time? To walk wisely means that you are, that you're making the best use of your time. Walking wisely means I'm intentional with my time, but it also means I am seeking to better understand God's plan. I am seeking to better understand God's plan. Look at verse 17. I think it's pretty clear there. It says, therefore, because the days are evil and you need to be intentional with your time, therefore do not be foolish, but understand what the will of the Lord is. A wise person wants to know what God's will, God's plans for their life is. Ephesians 2.10, if you want to switch back just a page. 
It reads, uh, for we are his workmanship, right? After you're saved, you are his workmanship, created in Christ Jesus for good works, which he prepared beforehand that we should walk in them. There's a key word again, walk, right? If we're going to walk wise, then we acknowledge the fact that God has a plan that he's laid even before we were born, all right, in place for us to pursue. A wise person acknowledges that and then is um, aware and goes after that plan. And it doesn't come just in a moment, it comes over day by day as you go into the word and trusting that he will reveal it to you. A wise person makes the best use of time by knowing what the will is and what God's plans are. They take the time to understand what pleases the Lord. If uh, God has saved me, then he has a purpose for my life and he wants to reveal his plan to me. Well, how does God reveal his plans to us? I think there's three ways that he does it. Um, One is he reveals his plan to us through his word. Right? Through the word of God, he reveals his plan to us. So if I'm seeking to better understand God's plan, that means I have to be in the Word to know what that looks like. If I really want to please the Lord with my life, then I have to be in the Word to understand what it means to please the Lord with my life. Colossians 1, uh, 9 through 10, can testify to his his Word being powerful in that way. Uh, His Word, another way that he reveals his plan to us is through his Spirit. Through his Spirit. And that's Colossians 3.15, if you want to read that later. He reveals his plans as the Holy Spirit indwells within us, and then he tells us. I look at the Word of God as our blueprint, all right? And then the Holy Spirit is an interpreter for those blueprints, right? A blueprint doesn't do us any good if we can't understand it, right? So the Holy Spirit comes within us, and he is the interpreter of that blueprint for us. He tells us how we can grow in it. And uh, then finally... Or I should say with the interpreter, the theological term, if, if you're on that, is illumination, right? That God is, uh, as we read his word, the Holy Spirit does something in our hearts and our minds, and it opens our eyes to actually see what he wants us to see, right? He brings it, he illuminates our minds to his word. So he leads through his word, through his spirit, and then he also leads through our circumstances. He uses our circumstances to refine us, refi- refinement, spiritual refinement. It's part of the sanctification process, right? I think of passages like Romans 8, 28, right? All things work together for good, who love the Lord and is called according to his purpose, right? Those who are predestined, it says in verse 29. So he uses life circumstances as a form of refinement. I also think of like Genesis 50, 20, where it talks about what man intended for evil, God intended for good, right? There's a plan behind there. And uh, when you're in tune to seeking the will of the Lord and understanding what it is, you go to his word, the spirit, and you look at life circumstances to convey what God's plans are. A walking wise, walking wise means you know what God wants you to be, the dangers to avoid, right? Remember our word carefully that we are in? Carefully, you walk carefully. And how to take advantage of the opportunities that God gives you, the best use of your time. To walk wisely, you must know what God wants you to be and how to get there. I would say God's will for your life, God's plans for you, is more corporate than individualistic, like for individual. Can't say that word this morning, individualistic. God's plan for my life, a lot of times we say, what is God's plan for my life? We, We tend to err on making it a little bit too personal, making it too about me. Instead, it's more like, 
what is God's plans for our lives? Now, is there times where in the Bible we see where God gave a certain person a certain mission, right? And said, you go do this, yes. And he still does that for us today, right? But the majority of God's plan or God's will for your life is the same that is for me, right? It's broader than that. I think an illustration will help you help us understand this a little bit better is um, if you ever go on a road trip, you ever been to like a national park or something and you go there to like behold the beauty of all creation, right? It's so fun to go on a little trip like that. And uh, when you're on a trip, you always want to take pictures. At least my wife does. So, um, and to capture those moments, right? So you could be looking at this beautiful scenery, this beautiful landscape, looking out and beholding the glory of God. And let's pretend like that is God's will for your life. He makes it really clear. There it is, right? That picture in your mind is symbolizing God's plan for our life. Now, we have two choices when we take a picture. We can take a picture and just capture it all, right? Or I can move in front of the camera and it can be a backdrop to me, right? And I, my face, unfortunately, could take up like a third of the picture, right? And not be able to see it all. And sometimes we do that with God's plan. Instead of looking at the whole picture of God's plan for all of us, the eternal plan that he has for us, and walking on that, sometimes we over-personalize and try to seek out and we put ourselves in the middle of the picture of God's plan. And we're like, yeah, you're just not very clear. And it's like, no, just turn around and look, right? It's there. He has it outlined for you. So what's God's plan for you? Let me give you some big rocks, some big things. We can't spend a lot of time on this this morning, but what's God's plan for us? That's what I'm saying. God wants you to please him with your life. It's one of God's plans that you would glorify God with your life, how you live your life. That's part of God's plan for each of us. What's God's plan for you? Uh, God wants you to know you intimately, right? That's the same for me and is it the same for you. He wants to know you more. He wants, to, um, he wants you to come and be vulnerable and real. He's like, oh, he's already know- he's an all-knowing God. He already knows everything about me. Yeah, true. Like, he knows the number of hair on my head, which is a little less than some of you. Um, he knows that our stuff already, right? But he still wants you to cry out to him. He wants you to he lead you as the good shepherd. He wants to know you on an intimate level and be real and vulnerable. He wants to have a conversation with you every day, throughout the day. What is God's plans for you? God wants you to be imitators of him, to be Christ-like. You see that right at the start of chapter 5, what Steve preached last week. Therefore, be imitators of God. That means to replicate or to mimic, to be Christ-like, so that you can be Christ to others, to share the work of Christ with others in your own life. Those are God's plans for you, but it's also for me. It's all for all of us. So how do I get there? How do I get from knowing what God's plans are to getting to actually understanding it? Well, you must set aside yourself for the purpose of godliness. That's important, right? You can't go chasing after God and go chasing after your own fleshly pursuits. It just doesn't work that way, right? So you say, I'm going to set myself apart for godliness means I'm going to leave this behind and go full board after the Lord instead, setting myself apart for godliness. You must... uh, Intake and apply God's word. All right? You have to be constantly, you have to be a person defined by the word of God. Like, I'm in the word of God on a regular basis. Not legalistically, like it's always going to be the same and every day in so many verses, but just that I'm a person of the word. Right? I'm committed to pursuing the word, intaking it, and then applying it. 
Not just head knowledge, but heart knowledge. This morning we're covering seven verses this morning out of 31,102 verses in the Bible. All right? So there's plenty of God's word that's still 31,095 to still intake and apply to our lives. How do you get to pursuing and seeking and, and getting God's plans fulfilled in your life? You also need to think um, biblically about the world around you in your life. Think biblically about the world around you and your life. James talks about this, right? Just don't be like the man who looks in the mirror of the word of God and then turns around and forgets, right? So when you have time, intentional time with the Lord, making the best use of your time, when you have that time, it's not that you leave him there, right? You take him with you. And as you are out about the world, you're thinking biblically about the world around you. You're seeing others how Christ wants to see others in a Christ-like way to make an impact. Are you making God's will, God's plan for you more about you than God? What are you doing to seek God's plan for your life? Are you drawing into deeper waters of understanding of who he is and what he created you to be on a regular basis so he can actually pursue it intentionally? Are you in the word? I feel like that's an application almost every Sunday, right? Are you reading the word, right? That's the lifeblood, right? You have to be in the word. Are you in the word so you know God's plan and his will for your life? So walking wisely means I'm intentional with my time. Walking wisely means I'm seeking to better understand God's plan. Third, walking wisely means I'm controlled by the Spirit. Verse 18. And do not be drunk with wine, for that is debauchery, but be filled with the Spirit. All right? The word filled there means to be under the control of the Spirit. A wise person yields to the Spirit's control in their life. Now, verse 18, it says, don't be drunk with wine, all right? That means don't be under the influence or control of wine. When you're drunk, you're out of control. And when you're drunk, you played the part of the fool. Drunkenness leads to foolishness, is what Paul is saying. It leads to acts of evil in these evil days. He calls it debauchery, which means Extravagant squandering, one who spends too much on his own lust and desires. In Paul's day, this was drunken orgies that were common amongst pagan worship services. That's debauchery, evil days. He says, don't let other things control you. Now, this passage is not in the Bible to make a point about drinking, but the harm that can come from when you let something other than the Spirit take control of your life. This isn't one example. Are there other things that in our life that can seize control of our life other than the Spirit of God? You bet there are. You might not be able to relate to, you could maybe relate to drunkenness, maybe you can relate to something else where it's like, yeah, that kind of controls my life. And Paul warns against that. He's saying, a wise person is spirit-controlled. To let um, your life be controlled by anything other than God is foolishness for the believer. So what does it mean to be under control of the Holy Spirit? Well, when the Holy Spirit comes in and you have the point of salvation, the indwelling of the Holy Spirit takes place there, and then he seals you permanently. We just sang a song about um, 
No one can pluck me out of the Father's hands, right? We know that that's a verse from John 10 that talks about, I am the Father and one, this is Christ talking, right? And you're in my Father's hands, you're in my hands, and no one can pluck me out of that hand, right? You're, you're secure in, your, in God's hands and in Christ's hands. It says no one can pluck you out of your hands. So not the devil, right? He can't pluck you out of there. No one else can. Not even yourself. You can't even pluck yourself out of there. You're covered. You're sealed. So what's three evidences of the Spirit's control? Like how do I know if I'm under the Spirit's control, right? That's a good question. How do I know if I'm under the Spirit's control? Well, he gives us some more insight to what that looks like. Look at verse 19. Addressing one another in psalms and hymns and spiritual songs, singing and making melody to the Lord with your heart. The first evidence of being spirit-controlled is inner joy. Inner joy. This doesn't mean that necessarily uh, every time you come across a brother or sister in Christ that you should just start randomly singing, all right? One expression of joy is to sing, right? And to worship God in that way. But I bumped into one of our church members on Friday when I was checking out at Hy-Vee, right? Getting watermelon, um, dish soap, and Captain Crunch. So <laughs> living life large on the weekend for the believer, right? So uh, he had some more stuff. I was just rising about that. But I was like, whew. Um, but yeah, if I would have broke out of the song there, it would have been awkward for him. Probably would have been awkward for the people around us in the checkout line. And even awkward for me. Um, you know, I've been coming to, I've been a part of Harvest for four and a half years, and uh, I so enjoy our worship service because I think it gets our heart in the right spot to receive the word. I think it is God honoring, God glorifying. So a lot of times I'm belting it out, you know. And over the four and a half years, I've never had somebody turn around that was sitting in front of me and say, Chris, you should try out for the worship team. Like, <laughs> that's why you don't, want, you don't want me to, like, be the person that starts singing just randomly to express my inner joy for the Lord. But what does this mean? I think, I think of Psalms 34. It says, I will bless the Lord at all times. His praise will continually be on my mouth, right? My soul makes my, my boast in the Lord. Let the humble hear and be glad. Oh, magnify the Lord with me and let us exalt his name together. I think that's the heart that's here, right? Because of the work of Christ in my life, a spirit-controlled person has real joy that is contagious, who is that in your life? Do you have somebody that you can think of that the real joy of the Lord is just like always oozing just out of them? And you're like, I love being around this person. <laughs> They're so encouraging, right? They just express the joy of the Lord. Not that they're perfect, but you can tell they are a spirit-controlled person by the joy that they have in their heart. Those people are impactful. When I think of, the, of this inner joy, right? You think of, at least I do, I think of like Galatians 5 where it talks about like, what it looks like to walk by the Spirit, and when you actually walk by the Spirit, the Spirit manifests itself with it the spiritual th- fruit, right? It's not fruit that we can grow, it's the spirit, it's fruit from the Spirit. And as long as I'm walking in the Spirit, then that fruit will come. The first one on that list is love, go figure, right? Of course, love is going to be the number one listed one because you think of it's part of the greatest commandment to love the Lord God with all your hearts. Part of the second commandment, love your neighbor. First John's all mushy-gushy about love. And there's a lot of other passages about love. So love got first. But strong number two was joy, right? Have joy. It's a fruit of the Spirit. It's evidence that you're under the Spirit's control for sure. You know, when we pursue our own ways, when we pursue our own lust, when we fall into sin, I would say the first thing that will escape you, this easily speaking to my 
my experience is joy. I've exchanged temporal happiness for God-lasting joy. It just escapes you. When you're not under conspiracy control, joy is the first thing you go. It slips through your hands like sand. It goes. Second way that uh, you can know that you're under the spirit's control or, or not is outward gratitude, verse 20. Verse 20 reads, Giving thanks always for everything to God the Father in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ. When you think about what Christ has done for you, you cannot have a casual heart of thankfulness, right? Casual heart of thankfulness doesn't go with what the work of Christ has done in your own heart of life. A spirit-controlled person never gets bored or tired of expressing to other, others who God is and what he has done through Jesus Christ in your own heart and life. This gratitude we see in this verse is all-encompassing. It says, always and in all things give thanks and gratitude. What? There isn't some situations in our life that we shouldn't be thankful for? The answer should be, yeah, there is nothing that we shouldn't be thankful for. I was even thinking about this, like, am I really thankful for sin? Like, I hate sin. <laughs> God hates sin, I know that, right? And most of it is not something to be thankful for. But there's a part of sin that I am thankful for. Sounds kind of weird. Um, without me having sinned, I won't realize that I'm actually a sinner and that I actually need a Savior. So I'm glad for the fact that I can see my sin and see the chasm in between me and the Lord, right? And that I need to pursue him. So there is something in there to be thankful for, to even. What about life circumstances? Man, things are really hard right now with this relationship. Things are really, really hard right now at work or with my, this child that I have or whatever it is or we just can't make ends meet. Can I be thankful for those situations as well? Well, God is, God is still in control. He's still going to use those things for his purposes and his, for, for his glory and for my spiritual refinement. You can be grateful always in all things when you have the right biblical perspective and view. I always think of uh, 2 Corinthians chapter 4 where it, says, it talks about how we're like um, crushed in almost every way and, and uh, torn down and it just starts off like, oh, we're so defeated. It starts in about verse 7. And uh, later it talks about, and he kind of reassesses his view of who God is and his work, and then all of a sudden by the end of it it says, don't lose heart, for this momentary, momentary affliction will eventually pass away in light of all eternity, right? When I'm in the middle of a trial, it seems so big, and in, in its grandeur, I lose sight of God, and God becomes very small. But if I have the right biblical perspective, I can see that God is a bigger God, and my situation is actually really small. And that he's going to deliver me. When trials come, he will deliver me. He'll either deliver me from it, which is, I prefer that. Please deliver me from it. <laughs> a lot of times he chooses delivering me through it for my own refinement. But he will deliver me. A spirit-filled person does not have misplaced hope. I think that is the key to gratefulness in all things. Don't misplace your hope. Don't put your hope in a person. Don't put your hope in a situation. Don't put hope in a change. Don't put your hope in health. Don't put your hope in whatever, fill in the blank. The Word of God only causes us to find hope in one place, and that is Him. 
Put your hope in the Lord. And if your hope remains in the Lord, then you'll have uh, an attitude of gratitude in all things. The opposite is that we become a complainer, a grumbler about life instead of having a, a heart of gratefulness. When our hope is in the right spot in the Lord, he delivers us every single time. The third evidence of being a spirit-controlled person, we've got inner joy, we've got outward gratitude. Uh, last, we have steadfast humility, verse 21. Submitting to one another out of reverence for Christ. This word submission means not my rights, not my demands, not my way. I am for you and we are for God out of reverence for Christ. We're in this together. All are equal at the foot of the cross. Not all the same roles and responsibilities that we're going to see in chapters 5 and 6, but we all have equal worth and value before Jesus Christ. The work of Christ is not less significant in one person than another. Because I'm a pastor doesn't make me more worthy or special in the sight of the Lord than you. Because I'm a father or because I'm a husband doesn't make me more valuable than my kids or my wife before the Lord. Instead, greater responsibility requires greater humility that is steadfast. Leaders often fail when they don't lead with humility. And humility, this word humility, submission, it's not a weakness, it's actually a strength. And submission is a, is a beautiful thing when wrapped in humility. Without submission, I would say, the cross would have never happened and there would be no gospel. Flip over just one page in your Bibles, at least in mine it is, to Philippians chapter 2. This is why I don't think the gospel would ever happen if it wasn't for humility and submission. Chapter 2, starting verse 6, Who, this is Christ, though he was in the form of God, did not count equality with God a thing to be grasped. He was part of the Trinity. He's equal with God, right? But he was willing to let that go. It says, he, But he emptied himself by taking the form of a servant, being born in the likeness of man, and being found in human form, he what? He humbled himself. He was willing to put himself under the subjection of God the Father. He humbled himself by becoming obedient to the point of death. That's submission, that's humility, even death on a cross. Therefore God has highly exalted him and bestowed on him the name that is above all other names, so that at the name of Jesus Christ every knee shall bow in heaven and on earth and under the earth. And every tongue shall confess that Jesus is Lord for the glory of God the Father, right? God gives grace to the humble, but resists the proud. Now, I didn't read, I don't think, the most important part of this passage. Um, even though now you can see, like, without the humility of Christ, without Christ being willing to submit to God the Father, we won't have the gospel, right? He's leading us in that. Look at verse 5 of chapter 2 of, in Philippians there, verse 5. It says, Have this mind among yourselves which is in Christ Jesus. Do you catch that? Have the same mind in Christ Jesus of humility and submission. That's what he's calling us to do. Have that same mind in us. One thing that I learned is uh, I don't think submission is ever demanded. I think when submission is demanded, it's, that person is leading with pride, not humility. 
Submission is expected, and that's clear from God's word, but it is willfully given. God didn't demand Christ to die on the cross. Christ was willing to die on the cross because he saw God the Father's plan and his character and he was willing to follow it. He willfully gave it. Let you in a little bit into my relationship with uh, my wife, Crystal. We have an amazing relationship, mostly because of her and a little bit because of me, but mostly because of what God did. Um, we're growing together. We're, we're strong in the Lord together. Um, it's cool how God has completed us with one another for the sake of oneness. Um, but just being real, being vulnerable, we've had some hard times where we've had to hit the reset button, right? We go through trials. And uh, there was one night, just one night this fall, it wasn't good in our, the person's household. I don't even remember what we were fighting about. You know, isn't that weird? <laughs> I don't even know where it came, like, what was it about? I don't know. I was talking to Crystal last night. Um, it was one of those nights it was easy to see the other person's flaws and shortcomings, and it was hard for me to see my own. And Crystal would have said the same thing. One, is that even remotely close to being spirit-controlled? when you can see everyone else's flaws instead of your own. After some time, I found myself with three kids and no crystal. I actually found her in the closet crying, in our closet crying. That's a bad sign, husband. (laughs) Things are not going good. Um, You know, that broke my heart, really. In that moment, God got my attention. And I started asking questions like, how could this happen? How did it end up so poorly? All night, not controlled by the Spirit, for sure. But finally, the Spirit grabbed control of my own heart concerning me and humility. I didn't excuse, make excuses for my sin that night in the closet. <laughs> I didn't excuse Crystal from her part in it as well, as she also contributed to it. But I was willing to say, you know, Crystal, this night, it's on me. I'm the leader of the home. Things are going poorly. I'll take the ownership, right? Humbly submitting, giving reference to her because of the work of Christ in my own life. Taking full ownership. So let me ask you, do you this, some application of questions. Is the Spirit controlling your life? If it's not, what is controlling your life? What is grabbing control of your life that you need to release to God so that he can actually control it wholeheartedly? Could your life be defined by inner joy? Now, if you're like me, I tend to be self-righteous, so of course on this list of three, I'm like, yeah, I'm defined by joy, gratefulness, and humility. Of course I am. (laughs) Um, The more accurate reflection is to ask this to people that are close to you, to your spouse, right? To your kids, to your small group, to people around you, right? Hey, 
not perfectly, but what do you say? I'm defined by joy, being a joyful person. Am I defined by somebody who is thankful and has a heart of gratitude? Am I a person that leads with humility? Those would be evidences that you're under the Spirit's control. What is in your life that is preventing you from yielding control to the Spirit? My relationship with others, walking wisely. Remember, this is uh, just starting this path of walking, how it looks to walk wisely amongst as a father, mother, all those things, husband, wife. Walking wisely, though, means that I'm intentional with my time, making the best use of it. Walking wisely means I'm seeking to better understand God's plans for my life on a regular basis. And walking wisely means I'm under the control of the Spirit. Lord, I just uh, pray that uh, as we approach you day by day, that we would just lean into you and into your word, that we remember who you say you are, and that we remember that our identity is wrapped in you. Lord, help us be intentional with our time, making the best use of it for your glory, to build your kingdom, to seek you. Lord, help us to better understand what it means to be a follower of you so that we can please you with our hearts, with our lives, Lord. And, and Lord, we just want to be under, walk as wise. We want to be under the Spirit's control in our life. That's how you can make a big impact in my, our own hearts, but also the ones around us. Lord, will you teach us? Will you show us these things? Just pray all these things in your son's name. Amen.